Friends, our second Bible reading this morning is from the third chapter of James. If, if, you're, if you have a pew Bible, like I do, uh, you can find it on page 1268, or you can read it behind me on the screen. James chapter 3, from verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. This is the Lord's word. Thank you, Bryce and Brian, for praying for us. Uh, We will be reflecting on those few verses. Do keep your Bibles open. There is an outline in the newsletter. You might find that helpful uh, to take notes. Uh, But let's, let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we reflect on wisdom and what wisdom is, that you'll grant us the wisdom we need that comes from you. Help us to think your thoughts after you. And help us, Lord, as we heard in the kids' talk, not be mere hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, every year we all get older. In fact, every day we get older. But every year we get older. There's no surprises there. I reached a milestone this past week. You know what that is? It's called a midlife crisis. (laughs) And so soon you might not see a people mover in the minister's car park spot, perhaps a convertible. No, it won't happen. It won't happen. I'm on a stipend, so... (laughs) But what do people normally say on your birthday? Well, on a card I got this past week, I got this message. You know you're still young when the number of hairs on your head outnumber your age. Do you get that? You're still young when the number of hairs on your head outnumber your age. I thought that was quite comforting. But often we do hear on your birthday, a year older means a year, a year wiser a year older means a year wiser but let me ask you do you think that is true is it true that the older you get the wiser you get perhaps we just say that to each other to comfort each other because we know the wrinkles will come our bodies will become more frail and so we say you'll get wiser just to make each other feel better is it true or can you in fact is it possible at all to grow old but yet remain a fool is that possible does age equate to wisdom 
or does intelligence and cleverness and smartness equate to wisdom? Is it possible to be so exceptionally intelligent, a high IQ, a high achiever, but yet make a mess of life and still look like a fool? Is that possible, to be smart, intelligent, but yet unwise? A prominent professor of psychology, he was the former president of the American Psychological Association, Robert Sternberg. He did extensive study in human intelligence, and his specialty was that, human intelligence. And you know what he concluded? He concluded what we already know, and that is, you can be exceptionally smart, highly rewarded by the schools and university and society, and we honour those who are smart and intelligent, but yet at the same time, not very smart at all. In fact, he goes on to say, very stupid and even self-destructive. And what did he conclude? Well, in one article he said, as I studied IQ and analytical intelligence, I've seen people who have high IQs, they have test scores and degrees, but put them in a job or in a relationship and they make a mess of it. And the article, an interesting title, The Stupidity of the Intelligent. The Stupidity of the Intelligent. And age doesn't always help. You see, why is it that successful executives in our world with families and children of their own but yet they would choose to have an affair destroy their marriage and their family in 2015 in fact millions were exposed when a dating website Ashley Madison was hacked according to a research a recent research by McCrindle one in three marriages will end in divorce why is that? And many of them are highly intelligent. Or well, why is it that not too long ago, in fact, even a US president so powerful, but yet so foolish to betray the trust of his wife and the nation and to have an affair with a White House staff? I mean, we read it all the time, don't we, in the news, scandals after scandal. Or well, why is it that in the pursuit of wealth and comfort and security, so many leave behind them a wake of destruction, of lies, of hurt, of broken relationships. And perhaps you might even know someone like that. Is it because intelligence, being clever, and even aging is not enough? So, what do you need? What you need is wisdom. What you need is wisdom, which can come with age, but not always. And so my question to you this morning, which is the question of this passage, are you wise? Are you wise? And that is the question James begins with. So have a look with me. He asks this question almost like a challenge. If you think you are wise, then show yourself. Do you see that? Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? It's a challenge. Show yourself. 
You see, in the pursuit of knowledge and understanding and learning over the course of human history, we've got philosophers after philosophers, lecturers and professors after professors. So that now, today, we live longer than ever. Life expectancy in Australia in the 1960s was only about 70 years of age. Now it's over, not, uh, over 80. We're now healthier. We eat better. There's low GI this food. There's sugar-free that food. There's low-fat this and that. We eat better. We are far more comfortable than we used to be. Houses, cars, look at what we have today, far more comfortable than what they used to be. We're far more informed than any time in human history. Back in my time, you want to find out and do some research, you have to get what we call an encyclopedia, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica. Open up, look up the index and find your information or go to the library. Today is only a few clicks. And so we live longer, we eat better, we're healthier, we're more comfortable, we've got far more information than we need. But it seems that humanity is just as confused as it ever was. I mean, how many cannot even answer the question, who am I? How many people can't even answer that question? Am I what I eat? Am I what I do? Am I how I look? And so people spend a lifetime in gyms, pursuing careers, changing their body image, trying to discover their identity. Who am I? You see, with all the advances in the technology, all the scholarship we have, we can't even answer that basic question, who am I? And we now even expect children, little kids, to determine their own moral framework, to determine their own gender. And so even to our world today, James calls out, who is wise and understanding among you? Look at the world you are in. Who is wise among you? Show yourself. And so how do you work out if you're wise or not? Well, do you notice here, James doesn't get us to take an IQ test. He doesn't get us to go and get a degree. He doesn't want us to succeed in the eyes of the world. Instead, the wise are those who show by how they live, not by what they know. You can know that relationship works best if you love, but unless you show love in your relationships, you're unwise. You can know that honesty is the best policy, but unless you are honest in all your relationships, in all your speech, in all your business dealings, then you're unwise. You can know it, but unless you live it, you are unwise. You can know that forgiveness is the way for relationships to be restored, but unless you live it and apply it, then you're unwise. And so how are we meant to understand wisdom? Well, wisdom is not intelligence. It's not cleverness. Wisdom is God's truth applied to life. It is living out God's truth. It is living it, not just knowing it. It is in our character, in our deeds, not in our imagination or ideas. It is about having a big heart, not a big head. And so verse 13 again, have a look. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Now look at verse 13. What do you think that suggests? 
What that suggests is that by observing each other, and if we observe each other, live long enough, we'll be able to see whether we're wise or unwise by how we speak, how we act, what we do when the pressure is on, what we do when we feel under stress, how we behave when we've been hurt. We can observe, and you're meant to be able to tell, is this person wise or not? Am I wise or not? Simply by observing. And so wisdom is God's truth applied to life. Living God's way, that is wisdom. Now Peter Adam, the former principal of Ridley College, he'll be our camp speaker next year, by the way, when he was principal, he would exhort his students as principal of a Bible college to students who will one day become ministers and missionaries and gospel workers. He will exhort them to be wise and he will say, be wise. You know a lot of theology now. You've got a lot in your heads, a lot in your, on your minds. But one day you'll be pastors and missionaries and gospel workers. So do not make an unwise mistake. Make just one unwise mistake and you'll destroy your marriage, your family and your ministry. And so you see, wisdom is applying God's truth to life. Living it, not just knowing it. And so the alternative way of life then would be completely unwise. It makes sense. To be bitter and selfish and proud, that's not God's way. That's not the way to live. In fact, we read here quite shockingly. I don't know if you noticed that. It is the devil's way. Do you notice that? You can have God's wisdom, which is good and pure and true. Or you can have the devil's wisdom, which is evil and will tear down and break down. Don't you find that shocking? The devil's wisdom. Look at verses 14 to 15. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. Is that shocking? When we act and behave and speak in a way that is contrary to God's truth, we're behaving like the devil. That is shocking, but that is true. Now, just before we start pointing fingers, we need to read that and reflect on our own hearts and our own lives. When was the last time we've done or you've done something that was hurtful because you were bitter? That would be unwise. When was the last time you acted selfishly because it's convenient, easier? Well, that would be unwise. And not only that, that is of the devil. And so you can see here, being intelligent is not enough. Being clever is not enough. Growing older is not enough. It does not necessarily mean wiser. And so if our lives do not reflect God's truth, it's the devil's. And look at verse 16 now. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Don't you find that to be true? In communities, in groups, in organisations where there is that selfish ambition, it leads to all sorts of evil. The Nazi regime, Hitler and his leaders, very ambitious, extraordinarily ambitious, but also extremely intelligent. 
the average IQ of the Nazi leadership was 129. That is way above average. But there you also find evil of every kind. They use their intelligence to invent all sorts of atrocious ways of killing people. Or nations where there are self-seeking politicians or leaders or rulers. What do you find there? There you find corruption, kickbacks, bribery, embezzlement. And one I found that takes the cake was once Indonesian president. He embezzled over $15 billion. Or corporations. What happens when your leaders, your executives are greedy? Well, there you find fraud and cover-ups. Anyone of you remember HIH Insurance and what happened there? Even Bank West, there was some trouble there. Enron in the States. Or even in the household, where if any member lives selfishly, ambitiously thinking about themselves, in that household you'll find disorder and chaos and conflict. But wisdom from God is God's truth applied to life. And so if it is God's truth, what we now find is that it must also come from God. That just makes sense. If it's God's truth, it must come from God. It's why in Psalm 111, Proverbs 1, Ecclesiastes 12, what does it say is the beginning of wisdom? What is the beginning of wisdom? It is the fear of the Lord. You want to be wise? The first step is to fear God. Strange, isn't it? You want to be wise. The first thing about being wise is fearing God. And why? It is because the first thing about being human is to recognize that God is God and I'm not. I am his creature. And so if God is God, the first thing about being wise is that I need to respect this God, revere this God and worship this God. It's how we come to understand who we are. And so you know that age-old question, who am I? I mean, you've got philosophers who continue to think that. Who am I? How do you decide? Am I what I think, what I do, what I eat? Well, the answer is, I am precious, made precious with dignity to be in relationship with God who made me in his image. We understand ourselves in reference to God. If we start to understand ourselves in reference to others and not in reference to God, what might happen there? Well, what might, what, what might happen is that if I feel that I'm better than anyone else, it will create pride in me, a sense of superiority. If I feel that others are better, then I'll feel inferior and deficient and unequal. But if I understand myself in reference to God, I'll always be humbled because I'm his creature. I need him, I depend on him, and I always fall short of his glory. But I'll always feel dignity and worth because God made me in his image. And so you see, wisdom is from God above. And it reflects what God is like. And so to live wisely is to allow God's character to shape my character, to live lives that is like God, to be godly, that is living wisely to be godly. And so verse 17, we see now, have a look. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, that is, it is from God, is first of all pure. What that means is that it's blameless, without stain or blemish. It is all that is good. 
It is unable to produce anything that is evil. And then we read, it is peace-loving. You see, you can tell if someone is wise when they always try to work towards unity and peace. Not unity at the expense of truth, but they're working towards peace. They're not always wanting, they're not wanting to pick a fight. They're not attacking the person. They're, they're not speaking with harshness and rudeness, but with calmness and gentleness. That they, they talk about the issue, they play the ball, not the person. They are willing also to be wrong, to listen, to be persuaded, to be open to reason, to yield, to pursue peace. And you can see who they are. They want peace. They work towards unity. Next we read, considerate or gentle. And isn't that just to be like God who is considerate of us? We don't deserve anything, but God cares. He's gentle towards us. He's considerate of us. And so in my own speech, if I want to be wise, my own speech, my own deeds and decisions, I'm thinking always about how it affects the other person. And when people fail, I don't gloat over them. It's the temptation, isn't it? All those magazines, um, Women's Weekly and those type of magazines. You, not that I read any of it, but you hear people read of it. And it's all about scandals. You know, scandal this after scandal that. And, and people like to read it because it makes them feel better. They gloat over the failings of others. But that's not wise. To be wise is to be considerate. Next we read submissive. Isn't that interesting? To be submissive is to be wise. You see, God has given us good ordering of relationships for our good. There are certain orders of relationships that, that require submission. And it is good. Submission in the sense of not being a doormat, but I voluntarily choosing to place myself under the authority and care of someone else under the authority of someone else and the responsibility of someone else. For example, children to parents. It's good for children to submit to their parents. Husband and wives. The, the, the model in Ephesians 5, it is a good thing. In the church community, those who have been entrusted with responsibility, there is a right respect for them. And so submissive means I'm not demanding my rights but I'll submit to those God has appointed in authority over me. And it is a good thing. Next we read, to be wise is to be full of mercy. That is not always needing to demand my rights, to have it my way, but to be willing to overlook and even forbear in love, to show mercy, not revenge. You know, not, not that sense of, I'll get you back, you got me, I'll get you back. I mean, imagine if that was what God did to us each time we failed. To be wise is to produce good fruit. You see, you can always tell what type of tree it is by the fruit it bears. If the fruits of your life, my life, are, are gentleness and kindness and self-control and love and joy, you can tell that person is wise. It's a good tree. But if the fruits are nastiness and impatience and pride and arrogance, then that's unwise. In fact, it's of the devil. Next we would read, impartial. 
Now, James has already spoken earlier about being impartial, not showing favoritism, treating everyone equally, and wise, being wise is being sincere. That is genuine care. I really care for you. It is for real. I'm not just saying it. I'm going to do it. I'll express love. I'll express concern. I'll not just talk the talk, but I'll walk the walk to be sincere. And what's the outcome of all of this? Our final verse, verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And so those who love to quarrel, do you know anyone like that? Or it might even be you. Those who just love to pick a fight, to be contentious, to stir the anger of others, to cause others to become more heated and hot-headed, to cause offence, to gossip and to slander, to presume upon the intentions of others. You might do that, but that's because you are like that and you intended this. To those who cause dissent and destruction, what, what will happen with them? They will reap a harvest of broken relationships, of hurt, of bitterness that they'll have to bear, of dysfunctional relationships. But instead, verse 18, the peacemakers, they are like God, God who acted to restore peace with us who rejected and rebelled against him. The peacemakers are like God and they reap a harvest of righteousness, a life of wisdom that is pleasing to God. That's what we are to be like, peacemakers. Recently I heard a, a, a story of a, a wise man who shared with me opportunities for him to be hearing gossip and slander. And he said to me, it's, it's enticing, isn't it, when you hear gossip, what, what this person, that person did or that. Or, it's enticing, but, but he said he will not be baited by gossip. I thought that's a wonderful principle. Do not be baited by gossip because you'll be sucked in and the anger will burn and heat up and you'll cause dissent. That is wise. And so what's wisdom? God's truth applied to life. Not just knowing it, but living it. Not a big head, but a big heart and a life that reflects that. And so, a year older doesn't mean a year wiser. Not always. You can be at the top of your field, an executive a university lecturer, a director, a CEO, a world leader, but yet remain unwise. But why is that? Even though we live in an age where we're more informed than ever before, why is that? Why is it that you can be so successful but yet so unwise? Is it not because it is a world that has turned its back against God? Is it not because it is a world that has become, in a sense, too clever for its own good that we now think God does not exist? Is it not ultimately because we do not know God? If you do not know God, you do not know wisdom. You do not have wisdom. You see, there was a time when the universities, the institutions of learning in society, were the place that helped us know God and gain wisdom. Do you know that in America, 
anyway, almost every Ivy League university, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, they were in fact established so that they might be a place that would, would teach wisdom, where you could gain wisdom. And many of those were established to in fact train ministers of the gospel. In their student handbook, or, uh, uh, handbook of Harvard, in 1646, read this, this was why they were established. It's the Old English, and I'll read it. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning, and seeing that God only giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. See, the universities, many of the elite universities, established to teach wisdom because it was teaching you the word of God, to seek God for wisdom, to learn of God, to read of scripture. And their motto of Harvard, it used to be, it's no longer this, their motto was truth for Christ and the church. That's why you went to university, to gain wisdom. In fact, this used to be their shield. And you might, it's a little bit hard to see, but you'll see inside the crest, there, there's three books, the two up the top. It's open and facing up. And the bottom book, it's open but facing down. And the symbolism was that the bottom book was to show that human reason has its limits. What you need are the revelation, is the revelation of God in Scripture. And that's the first two books. But of course today, you don't go to university for wisdom anymore, do you? Mainly because they've become so secular, so liberal, so anti-God, so anti-Christian. So where do you go? Well, it's one of our values, isn't it? word-centered teaching and what's the beginning of wisdom it is the fear of the Lord it is knowing God in the face of Jesus Christ it is seeing in the cross of Christ the wisdom of God because what do you see when you look at the cross when you reflect on Easter when you reflect on a man who was crucified you see something that's foolish in the eyes of the world but what you there see is the wisdom of God. You see what God is really like towards us. So gracious, so patient, that he would find such a costly way for our sins to be forgiven. So loving and so merciful that he would even see his son flogged and tortured and crucified so that we might have eternal life. There you see the wisdom of God. And that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is to know what God is like, to believe that God is like that towards me, and to live a life like God. Not a big head, but a big heart, and a life that reflects that. Applying God's truth to life. And so today... If you reflect on that, it really aligns with one of our core values. God-centered lives. God-centered lives. Real, deep, genuine relationship with God that is lived out in godliness, 
in Christ's likeness. And as you reflect on just this week and this day and this coming week, there will be thousands of opportunities for you to choose to be wise or unwise. If God has been so loving to me, he knows my heart, knows my filth, then what does wisdom say? Wisdom says, if God is like that to me, then I should be like that to those around me, even after this service, in love, in care, in concern. If God has been so patient with me, even when I make mistakes over and over again, what does wisdom say? Then I be patient with that brother or that sister, forbearing those who continue to disappoint me. That is wisdom. If God has been so forgiving of me, what does wisdom say? Then I be forgiving too. Peace-loving. Continue to show and extend forgiveness, seeking unity. If God has been so gentle and kind and gracious towards me, what does wisdom say? Well, wisdom says the next time I get hurt and I find myself in a conflict, I remember how I speak, how I act, that he too be in kindness and graciousness and gentleness. If God has been impartial towards me, accepted me even though I do not deserve it, what does wisdom say? I show no favoritism. I love and care and treat equally with generous love. And so, a year older means a year wiser. Is that true? Well, it can be true for you and for me if we live this out. If all we know about God, we apply to our lives, God's truth applied to us, that is wisdom. Let's pray that that will be the community we'll be. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you'll grant us wisdom from you, that our lives will reflect godliness and Christ-likeness, that there will be nothing in our lives that will bring shame to you, but only honour and glory. We pray, Lord, that by your Spirit you'll work that in our hearts so that our lives will reflect wisdom from above. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.